Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. And welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast, a weekly youth ministry podcast where we interview interesting people and talk about interesting things to youth ministry. My name is Martin Saunders and uh, due to scheduling conflicts, uh, the role of Mrs. Rachel Gardner will today be played by Miss Amy Williams. Hello. Hello. You Hello. are stepping stepping out from behind the, well, you're not really moving at all, are you? But no. you're, you're normally producer, Amy. And today, your presenter, Amy. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing well, yeah. Um, enjoying the fact it's the end of the week and nice weather at the moment. Um, and still got some of my chocolate for my Easter eggs left over. So that's very life impressive. Is good. <laughs> how, how, okay. How many Easter eggs did you did you get? I got three main ones and then lots of kind of smaller ones. When you, know, you like say bags ma- of chocolates. Yeah. When you say main ones, do you mean like giant ones? Yeah. You know, big ones. You're not counting, ones. so like one that's a pound. <laughs> where would that on the on the Amy egg scale? Where would that sit? Yeah. Like one that was like a pound. When you say a pound, do you mean it cost a pound? Or yeah, no, I don't mean a pound a of pound? chocolate. I mean, <laughs> I mean like those. You know, when you you get someone gives you one and it's like, oh, it's one yeah. of those cheap ones, that I, like a pound in Morrison's. Yeah. So um, basically, the story with my Easter eggs. Uh, so it's a very exciting story. Yes, no, tell us the story. Um, yeah, and also very, you know, relevant to the moment as well. Yeah, when this comes out, it was... on the zeitgeist. <laughs> That's what yeah. we like to do, yeah. Uh, so basically, I, I got one Easter egg from my flatmate and one from my fiancé. Oh. And I I had a conversation when they were both there where I told them that I like dark chocolate. And okay. um, they both went to Morrison's, not at the same time to buy an Easter egg for me. And the only Easter egg that was a dark chocolate Easter egg is the one that they both both ended up buying me. You had the same Easter egg. Yeah. yeah. And that might explain why you've still got some left. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. We don't, I mean, in my house, we don't get Easter eggs, but our children get given hundreds of Easter eggs. And so we, what we do is we do a system where we just make them share with each other. So no one's really clear who how many how much chocolate anyone's got because I grew up in a family where you very much squirreled your chocolate eggs you took what you had you found a place to hide it all oh yeah only you would have that chocolate whereas we've we've tried to install a different value system but it's not for any good reason it's because then my wife and I can can kind of um sneak sneak some of it out without them ever knowing that is smart they're not clear how much chocolate there was so we just we just sift it off like in the yeah. Shawshank Redemption, where he has handfuls of dust. Never we do seen that with it, actually. Oh, well, that's weird. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, not, it's on my list of films. Seen it. <laughs> it's on my list of one of those films that I really should have seen, but I haven't, I'm afraid. Have but on the, the topic. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I have to see it one day, but I, I just haven't so far somehow. I missed it. Fine. Yeah. Fine. But um, going back to the. <laughs> sharing easter eggs things yes let's keep talking about it yeah well this we can move on in a minute but um me and my brothers and sisters we were the same with the squirreling martin where we like were very protective over not just easter eggs but any chocolate or sweets or whatever that we were given when we were younger yeah um but the terrible 
thing like confession time now is that I used to eat all of mine really quickly because I'm just not very good at saving them. My sister would save everything. Um, So sometimes when I was like, oh, I really want some of my chocolate, but I don't want to like, you know, there's not much left and, you know, (laughs) I want there to still be some. So I went and took a bit of hers instead. Yeah. Um, And then I was like, okay, good. I've still got some of mine left, which is, it is terrible. But the hilarious thing is years down the line, we were all talking about this and we were all doing the same thing to each other. (laughs) (laughs) So it remained equal. (laughs) That's, that is a beautiful redemption story. I love that. Oh, that's brilliant. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I grew up in a family where basically if you didn't eat fast, you didn't eat. So, um, so you had to hide stuff away. Um, yeah. I remember, th- this is a formative memory for me, me once, because my, my brother and I both used to love Indian food. But I remember, I remember distinctly once walking in and my, my brother was sitting down. He was absolutely delighted. He had the full works, you know, non-bread, mm-hmm. rice, side dish. Curry, and I remember he saw me eyeing up the food, right? And this is no lie, he actually started spitting on the food so that oh I wouldn't word. touch it. Yeah. He started, <laughs> spitting, he started spitting on the food. And so, I, I, to be fair, I left it alone. That's disgusting. That's, that's an insight into the sort of yeah. uh, context that, that, that bred a monster. Wow. That explains so much, doesn't it? So, anyway. <laughs> Um, it's good you've really slotted into the role of host of the Youthscape podcast Thank you. by by just talking about things that are not relevant to today or <laughs> not relevant ministry. to the episode. Yeah, no, 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 no. But we have got we've got a really we've got a good interview today yeah. and uh, a great guest. And so we thought maybe and it's quite it's it's quite a serious subject. So we're talking about mental and emotional health and well being. So we thought maybe you know we just ease people in with a bit of. <laughs> A bit of Amy talking about Easter eggs, and I that's think what the people it. want. It's it's what it, everyone wants. You have to give the people what they want. <laughs> yeah, right. So you um, you, we were talking last week about renew normal, and you were oh, manning. Yeah. You were like the um the interface, weren't you? You were doing the social media and kind of helping delegates and stuff. What was it? What were your impressions of renew? I mean, we shan't talk about it too much, but um, but what were your impressions of renew normal from like how? people were engaging with it I mean I was I was just really impressed uh how many people did get involved with the the chat and apparently lots of people use the networking function which you know I I didn't even go anywhere near during the event but yeah loads of people joining in on the chat and on social media um it it's there's something about being in an event together even an online event where it's like you're all part of this same shared inside joke (laughs) You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> the plants thing, for example, we kept people kept tagging us on Instagram and Facebook or whatever, and, and with selfies of pot plants. And I just kept thinking, anyone else is seeing this? That's just yeah. so confused. Yeah. Like, who, who are these weirdos? <laughs> I, do you know, Amy, one of my um, earliest memories of you working at Youthscape is um, you joined not just before, but you joined before the 2019. National Youth Ministry Weekend. Yeah. And we sort of said to you beforehand, like, what kind of job do you want? You were like, oh, you know, I could do some, I could work in the store or I could, you know, help people on the door. And we mm-hmm. ended up on the, like, literally, you'd been a few months at Youthscape on, you we were like, actually, could you run the main stage? And yeah. You were, you were pulling the strings in the main venue. 
weren't you? Do you? Yeah. I don't know. So I don't know if you have a positive uh, memory of the National Youth Ministry Weekend or whether it was one of just abject stress. But um, but what do you think? Like, how do you think? How do you look now at all the events that we're doing? So we've done the the online event, and then in November, God willing, we're going to be back together yeah. for the National Youth Ministry Weekend. Um, you know, do you see the value in both of those? Do you have a strong preference? Like, what's been your experience? I think, I mean, there are some things that you just can't quite replace in terms of being being in the same room with people, you know, at the National Youth Ministry Weekend. Although there's loads going on, it's super busy, but even just walking around the sort of the venue and seeing people going and getting a coffee together or, you know, hanging out in between the sessions. And um, that's obviously what we really miss. Um, but I did think the interesting thing about Renew Normal was using Hopin and feeling a little bit more like it was an event and there were different parts of it and you were all in the same space. And um, and I do think that there's something really good about it, it just becomes a lot more accessible to a lot more people. Mm. Obviously, you know, people were joining from different countries and, you know, maybe some people buying tickets and watching stuff later who... Uh, just wouldn't have been able to come to something like the National Youth Ministry Weekend. So I do think that, you know, in the future, I guess all of these things are, are just making us realise that the potential for mm. just kind of allowing more people into that space, I guess. And the great thing about Renew Normal is it's not over. Yes. Because uh, we, are now, we now actually have opened up access, haven't we, to yes. the whole thing. So just tell people what they need to know. You can go to youthscape.co.uk forward slash Renew Normal. And um, you can, if you've not, if you didn't manage to buy a ticket at all for Renew Normal, you can just pay the £20 that everybody else paid and access all of the main sessions. You can also access the talks and seminars kind of edited out so you don't have to watch the whole of the main session, just the talks if you want. Um, so, yeah, you can get all of that. And I believe it's subtitled as well. Um, and then if you bought a £20 ticket, like the premium ticket, you obviously get all of that for free. And if you bought um, just a standard £10 ticket, then you can pay £10 more and upgrade to get all of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. anyone can get it, really, which is That's good. awesome. So yeah. do check that out. Um, and, you know, I think, as we said last time, we're going to do more of these. Uh, it just seems like such a good mm. and cost-effective way to get people trained and resourced and equipped and inspired and all the rest of it. So we'll do more. Yeah. Um, so to today's guest. It's uh, Nate Jones, who is uh, a fabulous youth ministry veteran. He was a youth worker, I think, a church youth pastor about 10 years, but also set up an amazing charity, which he talks about in this interview, called Teens in Crisis, which uh, work, operated all across Gloucestershire and was actually pretty huge. Um, so, uh, so he plays it down a little bit in the interview, but he really shouldn't have. Um, and he now works as a consultant, trainer, a resource developer. And so we've had a great conversation, um, which I would love to introduce you, you to now, um, in which we talk a little bit about uh, mental health, what it means to think about young people's mental health and well-being coming out of the pandemic, um, but also how we can think more proactively about um, those things all year round. Uh, and he's also got a brilliant, brilliant new resource, which he's working on, uh, which he talks about there as well. So let's get to it. This is Nate Jones. And we started off by talking about uh, what it's meant for young people to have to process uh, the pandemic and what that's meant for their mental health. 
Where do you think the average young person is at in their head after a year of COVID? That's a very good question, Martin. Um, I think young, I think the picture's mixed because for some young people, I think they found lockdown supportive. They enjoyed being at home and, you know, that sort of thing. So they actually found it okay other than getting bored. Um, for some young people, obviously, there was anxiety and concern and worry. And for many, of course, bereavement. Um, but I think it, I think it's a mixed picture, particularly as young people have started to return to school. Um, you know, young people do get back into rhythms quite quickly. So I think for some it's okay, and for others it's not. Which sounds a bit of a generalist statement, really. But I think it is a mixed picture. Um, and there'll be those young people that maybe were unwell before the pandemic, and they still needed treatment and didn't get that support. So that's exasperated their their poor mental health. And for others, of course, it would have triggered poor mental health. But as we come out of it, it will be interesting to see, you know, how young people do. How will they be affected by it as much as we have been sometimes led to believe? Yeah, I mean, I guess there are some young people who've, for whatever reason, personality type, uh, their family situation, so on, they've experienced this in a way that they've been able to cope with. Um, and they have been supported. They might have had great youth workers around them that have been offering support. Um, there will be others who have found this time incredibly difficult. What do you think might be some of the the sort of needs that we see emerge? What do you think might be some of the, if, if in those situations where things aren't going well, what do you think some of the issues might be? I mean, there will be some, I think, young people who whose anxiety issues become exasperated. Um, and that could be anxiety around, you know, being around people or, you know, that there might be that sort of that sort of problem particularly their anxiety hasn't been managed well during lockdown it, it could become you know almost enmeshed and embedded in them really um mm. i think there might be the issue of bereavement and loss for young mm. people and that's not just necessarily through death that could be the loss of you know for older young people their first university year not being like it was or you know a lot career changes and so on and i think there will be particularly as you say family issues that maybe rose up so the ongoing impact of debt and um you know poverty and those sorts of issues i think will probably surface um up mm. it, 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 over the months to come do you, do you think for the average youth leader listening to this you know thinking about emotional well-being mental health um, needs to now be a significant part of their thinking every week should it always have been like that? Do you, do you think there's a major part for youth leaders to, to play in this? Yeah, I think youth workers have always, we've sat what I always call them almost like the middle space, really. If you look at mental health as a continuum from being like absolutely thriving and doing well, which is not often the side that we talk about, but, you know, the doing well mm. to the sort of reacting bit unsettled to the becoming quite unwell to the, in essence, the, you know, diagnosed mental illness. A lot of young people, if they go to see their GP, for instance, they'll see their GP when they're unwell or a counsellor when they're unwell. But youth workers support young people across that entire spectrum, don't they? You know, we see young yeah. people in the highs and the lows. So I think pastoral care of young people has always been normal for most youth workers. Whilst we give it the framework and the title mental health, 
fundamentally is pastoral care, isn't it? And and relationship. So I think, yes, it should be something youth workers are aware of. Um, and I think, but I think certainly it's something that many of them have already been doing all along. Mm. And the importance mm. of youth work in holding young people when they're reacting or when they're not doing well and helping them almost as they, as they move up and down that sort of spectrum is, is critical. I think the key mm. thing is that youth workers are trained enough to know sometimes what they can and can't do and that mm. can be quite useful i think but no i think youth workers are really important in that sort of overall space of young people's lives i think that's a really important point that you make that we we have to remember that unless we actually are mental health specialists which i know a few people listening to this will be we're not mental health specialists and so we can't act in that capacity so we can support young people's well-being but it's not a sign of weakness or failure of your pastoral care for you to recognize that you need to signpost a young person on to somebody who really is qualified to deal with what they're they're going through. And I guess a lot of our, our role in the, in the pastoral space is triaging those kind of uh, the, the, those things that we come up against in young people. We think, is that a young person who's feeling sad or is that a young person who actually is, exp you know, showing signs that they may be clinically anxious or depressed um how i mean where do you even start in you know are there good places to go for training on that are there good you know how do you actually get yourself um in the space where you're well equipped to to make those decisions do you think yeah i think training is important but there are some other simple things as well to know sometimes but yeah it's this sounds a little bit less professional but in a sense sometimes I think as youth workers we can see when young people deteriorate so mm. we get a sense of the before and after it's a bit like yeah. teachers are the same so that's why youth work is so critical because we see the before the after um so I think you can pick up the signs a, a good question to sometimes ask is how long has this young person been feeling this way and if they've been feeling low or down or tearful um or been having quite negative thoughts for for maybe a few weeks or more then that might be the sign that mental health is really deteriorating. And then you can begin to have that conversation with them about have they spoken to anybody, maybe what's been going on. And when you do that, that bit of triage might be the thing that flips them in the right direction, if I can use that phrase. But if it mm. doesn't and you notice, you know, we've had a couple of chats and they're clearly not doing great, then I think that's a sign that maybe they should be signposted. It doesn't have to be a counsellor, but it could be a helpline or, you know, um, just to get them to explore um, with a mentor or somebody a little bit more. But I think that's a classic example of one of the ways you can do it quite simply. How long has this been going on for? But as well as more serious signs, if you know a young person talks to you about the stuff that we would say is quite not, not necessarily obvious, but self-harm or talking about having suicidal or depressive thoughts or struggling to sleep or being constantly anxious and it not going away and being tearful, uh, you know, as well as of, so I guess more serious issues you might come across like domestic violence or being threatened or bullied. Um, so those sort of situations, again, are triggers that maybe the interventions needed now rather than, mm. you know, at, at a later date. Mm, that's really helpful. Um, I guess this might lead us into talking about the project that you uh, that you're developing at the moment, but what what do you think generally speaking you know youth young young people really need uh, an opportunity to talk about in this time so you know is there a it, as we start to come out of um 
this pandemic time, this lockdown time. Uh, we've used this phrase probably too much now re about renewing normal. But as we start to sort of find a new normal with young people, what do you think? Um, what, what do you think are some good things for us to be thinking and talking about with them? Well, I think that there are two sides really. I mean, I think for, you know, like you know, as a, as a youth worker, I think young people need to have an opportunity just to just do life again, you know, and yeah. um, and almost not overly concentrate too much on the negative. Uh, I think that's quite important. I, I, I mean, I think it could be really helpful to do, you know, a bit of reflecting work. You know, have you found the last year? How are you doing now? What about the future? That that could be helpful. Um, but I think it's important to, you know, to let young people have a little bit of almost, I was about to say non-talking time, but, <laughs> you know, not to automatically jump into the conversations about um, the negative side all the time. And I think that's partly where, as you mentioned, the project I'm involved is, is is partly where I'm passionate is that so much of the mental health conversation is often about poor mental health and yeah. what's going wrong rather than about how can I learn to live well and I think you know I know there are a lot of young people with poor mental health but there are a lot of young people who don't have poor mental health and you know there have been research that you know even talks about like doing drugs education in the classroom it's really important but when you look at the amount of young people that potentially misuse drugs when a lesson's done on drugs, for a lot of the young people sitting in the classroom, it's probably not relevant. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't teach it. But, it, and again, it's the same thing, isn't it? But if we can teach young people to live well, well, that's relevant to all young people. So I think there's something about having conversations with young people that are relevant to them, um, you know, rather than just thinking we better do a session around anxiety. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, so I'm not dismissing the importance of those sessions, but I think if we we always tend to sometimes think about let's let's teach our young people about what's going wrong or what they need to avoid. You know, it's that sort of thing, particularly in church youth work, don't we? It's always the things we shouldn't be doing rather than what are the things actually we could be doing that would be good for us. Um, so that's, uh, you know, I think some of our conversation yeah. needs to shift to a more positive It's not just a positive, op optimistic viewpoint, but it is, a, I think that's really important i guess i guess the word is proactive isn't it really i mean it's about talking proactively about mental health everybody has mental health and so it's about seeing that proactively and i i, I think probably in, like just to reflect on what you just said there really i think i've heard way more unpacking with young people of do not worry about anything uh you know those sorts of verses than i have of you know i've come that they might live life and have it to the fullest you know yeah. actually we we focus way more on um your list of things that might go wrong i mean I, i've definitely done this with my youth group you know a session on uh you know self-harm and a session on anxiety and depression and um gosh i don't know if i've done anything like as much on the sort of positive side so before we dive into what you're working on at the moment it's really exciting um do you want to just tell us a bit about your story your journey in this whole area I, I want to you because you're a man with credentials and i'd love you to sort of paint that picture a little bit for us it's very kind of you to say <laughs> you, like a lot of people we probably all feel like the imposter in the room don't we uh, particularly when you put me Absolutely. up against doctors and psychiatrists <laughs> but um yeah well my my very very short story in essence is that i um was actually i was a very poorly teenager so I suffered from depression throughout a vast part of my adolescence and became uh, seriously suicidal in my sort of late teens. But I had an incredible encounter with God that transformed my life quite 
quite rapidly, actually, over a very short period of time. And um, and from that, I went to form a mental health charity. So I'd done a, a gap year with Oasis back in the day and um, came out of that and uh, I formed a mental health charity. And then alongside that, I trained as a counsellor and psychotherapist and worked in secondary schools in Gloucestershire for many years, um, working mainly with pupils at risk from exclusion, and then went to specialise in in bereavement, trauma, and uh, family therapy. And really, that's where I spent a big chunk of my work. I then went to work as a youth pastor uh, for 10 years, um, a, a large church just in just outside of Ross and Wye. And also, also through the days of the early days of my youth, my sort of counselling charity we had a youth work division we ran six youth work projects pop-up youth cafes out in the in the community um and so my my life has always sort of moved between youth work counselling that sort of and I love that merge I think I'd love to see a greater connection between the mental health world and the youth work world um and that's I'm sort of passionate about that but all the way through this I've continued to have my own personal mental health battles and as a small episode of my 20s but five years ago became seriously unwell again and had to take a year, almost a year off ministry. Um, but then I went into professional psychotherapy myself, which was quite good fun, actually, In as I look back. <laughs> I understand now how the Americans all have a therapist, you know. Um, but I think what was really good for me about that is I then I, I think I discovered quite a lot of really good healing. And then I began my interest or a re-emerging of my interest in the prevention of crisis so even in my sort of 20s when I set teens in crisis at the charities we were passionate about crisis prevention as much as we were about intervening and caring in crisis and so my recent journey has led me quite a lot into the positive psychology world and exploring how yeah how can we build help people to live well but that's the sort of potted history of my my life but my yeah. own personal battles with suicide and um and those those challenges were very real um as close as sort mm -hmm. of five five years ago and thank you for being so kind of open about about that stuff um you know as we record this actually um there's just the the um very sad news kind of uh, in the news today about a footballer who has um very sadly taken his own life uh, lee collins um, and it's just, again, um, highlighted how difficult men in particular find it to um, to talk about mental health. And, and um, do, you, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Just before we move on, because it just feels very, it, you know, lots of us work with young men, obviously. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on why um, suicidal, uh, well, not just suicidal thoughts, but suicide itself is 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 a bigger issue you know it is actually proportionally three or four times more likely in a man isn't it so have your thoughts on why that is and i think it's worth understanding i think a couple of things i think first of all there are two sides really i think what depression or poor mental health does to your normal coping mechanisms i think that's part of it so it's well known that i guess crisis and and depression can render you sort of inactive really so the things that you could do when you're well you can't do so just the same as physical illness i know we talk about a parity of esteem between physical illness and mental illness but i still think we think well just just talk to someone but actually it renders you potentially unable to function as as well as you would do normally and i think that's important it is an illness i mean it is debilitating and it's very you know in what it is but also i like to work with something when i talk to people and train people around something called the pyramid of risk you know, we can all talk about the weather and football at its at its at its sort of lowest. You know, that's that's all quite straightforward. 
But the more you start to go out, you know, start to give an opinion, start to express an emotion, start to talk about your own personal peak experiences, the higher up you're going up the pyramid, the greater the risk and the more painful or maybe the more difficult or not even having the language to articulate what it is you're feeling. And so I think those two factors are important, as well as I think the the generic cultural issue we talk about, about men maybe don't talk about feelings maybe as well as maybe women do. Um, And so I think you combine those three things together. And then I think there is the idea of people, even though all the campaigns we've been having around men, you'd think, wouldn't you, the volume of campaigns we've been having, people would just talk. But I think understanding the risk of conversation, understanding what you're going through yourself and knowing how debilitating suicide is, to take one minute, I remember years ago, somebody sent me an email and it was a, a blog. And I, I never, I've never been able to find out where it is, but it was a story of imagine your mind is like a building, a 20 story building and the building's on fire and you're on the top floor. Do you stay in the building and burn or do you jump? And I thought it was a really powerful image for me of being someone who struggled with suicide and or, or thoughts and a desire to, to take my life is that I, rec- I I understood that. Do I stay in my head as it is and burn, or do I jump? Because both seem equally as Trump. Do you know what I mean? Almost course, burning to course. death. And it takes you back to those images yeah. of the Twin Towers when people said, why did people jump? Hmm. Because, and it's, it's a, but I think that's a very useful thing. And so I talk to people about when working with suicide, our role of creating almost like a fireproof zone, of saying to someone, we can create a short-term little fireproof little room here and with the aim, obviously, of finding the fire exit. I mean, that's the ultimate yeah. sort of journey. I don't know if I quite answered the question, but I think understanding no, you a have. little bit about its complexity, I think, is really helpful. And I know the, the charity Papyrus is really good, particularly for youth workers. That's the charity that seeks to prevent suicide in young people and young adults. And I think also just asking the questions of people. Have you thought about, you know, suicide, taking your own life, asking the question? I think part of the problem is, is it's not just the person who's struggling people around us we find the word suicide one of those you know those ouch words it's such a difficult word to talk about isn't it and that's again why i think it's also maybe is it generational i don't know but i think the more even though we are talking about mental health i think the way we form our philosophy and opinions about the world is heavily shaped isn't it in our childhood and adolescence and so i think again the importance of i wonder whether suicide will be as prevalent in 20 or 30 years time, who knows the amount of work we're doing, or is it actually also a result of the increased pressure, depression that people are experiencing society as a whole? Is it proportional? Does that make sense? Um, I know there's lots of research out there and it varies, but. Wow. So, I mean, again, thank you for being vulnerable and, and talking into that area. I think you've actually unpacked a whole bunch of things there for people to think about. It wasn't where I was expecting the interview to go, but um, but it was it was there to talk about. So uh, so thank you for that. Um, so I've teased this enough, Nate. Um, you have been working on something really exciting for a number of years now. We've been talking about this for a few years. Um, and it's sort of nearly ready. And I think people are going to find it tremendously helpful. And it talks into some of the stuff that we've, we've just been talking about, about more positive, proactive approaches to mental health. So tell us about it. 
Yeah, brilliant. Well, yeah, you're, you're right. It feels like it's been, it feels like it's been a long time. But you know, of writing resources. Simply putting it, years ago, um, uh, a charity called the Ugly Duckling Company, um, based out in the south of the Forest of Dean, wrote a resource called the Happiness Lab, and it was an it was an exploration of taking a group of uh, fourteen adults through an experiment to understand how to. Um, how to discover happiness really um and from that the charity made an approach to me a number of years ago and said look would you help us write one for young people and so we had lots of work but eventually it has morphed into something called 1010 which um is exploring fundamentally that question of how can i be happy now i know in the church sector that's an interesting word because a lot of people in the church don't talk about happiness we talk about joy but if you one of the most common questions asked of life is what do you want in life? A lot of people will say, I want to be happy and I want to be healthy. Ask a lot of parents what they want for their children. Well, actually, I just want them to be happy. It's a very common phrase. And so 1010 explores this idea of how we can become happy um, and understanding that happiness in the psychological world is not just a light, airy, fairy momentary experience but it's something that much, is much deeper. And so the course takes young people through um, this understanding of how um, I can discover um, happiness in life. And it really it unpacks two ideas, the hedonic approach to happiness, which is the most common, which is pleasure seeking, and helps young people to understand that that runs out. So we explore something called hedonic adaption and help young people to understand why you know, things wear out. We no longer get the pleasure from it. We did. But oddly, we still keep pursuing the same thing. So that's what mm. social media does. You keep scrolling or we keep watching the same things over and over and over, expecting the same results. So we don't get them Buy more clothes. So the standard sort of approach yeah, of and course. discussion around consumerism. But it's well known that it doesn't work. But what it does is it, un it unpacks for young people something called eudaimonia or eudaimonic approaches to well-being, which is researched across the world to be the things that are better for us to live well and are also proven to improve our overall well-being. And if you ask most young people, I think, how can you be happy? They probably wouldn't talk about the topics that we talk about in 1010. So they would probably talk about what we explore in the first chapter about, you know, the stuff that makes me happy. Um, and so it's I find it is quite an exciting project because it isn't just about giving them a set of nice ideas. It is about helping them to really explore the gap that this issue is trying to um, fill, get them to practice it and have a go of it, but also really understand the benefits so they can make this connection. You know, it's not just um, here's somebody here's me telling you what to do, but actually an exploration of a topic and exploring its benefit and how it works. So, yeah, that's the project that we are involved great. in. It's great. So just getting really practical with it. So what what is it like? What is the form that it takes and how would a youth worker and where would a youth worker engage with it? Yeah, so we've written it in such a way so it can be used in lots of different settings, really. I mean, one of the key purposes of the Ugly Ducking Company is to create resources which connect with people who are furthest from faith. So 1010 is slightly different to many um, Christian resources is that its references to the Bible and, and God are virtually not there. But as a Christian, you would notice them all the way through. But there's a reason for that, because UDC write their resources, particularly to work with people furthest from faith, um, particularly to work in schools and, and those sorts of settings. And so 1010 is designed, it can be used for assemblies, it can be used for lunchtime clubs, it could be used in group work projects, it could be worked in school lessons, it could be used in the community. 
each unit roughly or each theme has about two to three hours worth of material in it so wow. on one in one level it is a course but it doesn't have to be um you know in in it could be run you could follow a theme a month you know you could really unpack it and allow young people to explore and spin off from it your own you know your different ideas but it's the format simply is there's a typical getting started activity which which almost invokes the theme for the session for the young people there's an opening little clip film clip and um, that we've had specially made and then they move into this idea called mind the gap so we begin to try and look at the problem that it's addressing they then go into a series of activities that allow them to experiment and try the idea that we're talking about we then go on to explore the benefits and that's critical so they make this connection but then the the, the second part of the resource is they then listen to experts that talk about um, the benefits and then finally they can go away and do experiments and then also within this whole process if they want to you don't have to there's a whole journaling stroke um reflective process that exists within it now depending on the young people you're working with and the context that can be done in quite a light-hearted way but it could be done in a more structured way um so the resource is designed so you can adapt it to fit i guess the needs of your own young people knowing what they're like because not all young people can journal want to journal um and but trying to so it has this combination of information um and uh, reflection in it that's really critical and the way we've written it is that all the way through it there's something called script which isn't the youth worker doesn't have to speak the script but we've aligned all the theory and the background evidence through the resource as you use it so you haven't got to spend a lot of time researching it but the topics aren't that complicated um you know so um but the, but the evidence understanding why they work is really important to reinforce why why should i as a young person try this but the key thing is to get them to experiment and ask the question does it did it work and for some of them they might turn around and said well i didn't do anything for me but what a couple of the units might do a lot for them so it's it's about helping them to begin to think about how can i build my best life because positive psychology is fundamentally the study of how to live life well. And it's based on living a life that benefits others that ultimately then benefits you rather than just doing it for myself. So it's in essence, yeah. it's character education, really. Mm. Um, you know, and through the spirit. And how and when can people actually engage with this? So 1010 launches um, um, this year um, around about June and um, be available in July. Um, and we're creating different versions of it. So most of it's in a digital format, um, you know, so you can have everything digitally. Uh, but uh, they can, you know, once you've got the resource, you can just use it as as you need. As I say, it could be run as a course, but you could, you know, run it as assemblies. I mean, each of the film clips and the getting started activity would create your 10 assemblies if you were somebody mm. who was doing assembly work. We're currently in the process of writing a version for primary education as well, um, which will be out hopefully next year, which would be great for those people who are more gearing, maybe working in the primary end. The current yeah, resource yeah. really works for year seven, right through to 11. It's designed for that. Actually, a lot of the content would work for sixth form, but like, you know, any yeah. any program, you know, you need to adapt it. And of course, of course. And, and we've designed it in such a way that youth workers can adapt it and pick and choose from it and even put in their own stuff instead, because they think, actually, I've got a better way of getting the same point across. Because the key thing yeah. is we've written the theory next to it so that you can just yeah we signed it that way but yeah from june this year and and uh i guess that really sets people up to run something in the in the autumn when it feels like just going back to the start of our conversation 
it could be really important to put some sort of proactive, positive health, mental health and well-being stuff in front of young people. It feels like that will be, uh, we, we can't, pre- I mean, if we know one thing from the last year and a half is <laughs> that we can't predict the future, but it feels like there will be a whole bunch of emotional and mental stuff to unpack in the second half mm. of this year. So, so that's really great timing for that as well. What, um, where do people find out more, Nate? So um, they can go to theuglyducklingcompany.com forward slash 1010. And uh, they can follow the link there and, you know, sign up for the latest newsletters or um, pre-ordering will be available soon. Um, But yeah, I think you're right about this idea um, that it would be, it's timely because there's a big piece of research last week that we saw it from Bristol University talking about how they discovered that they can teach happiness and it actually has a quantifiable benefit. And I think what I love about it, it is character-based. It is about developing character. And I think there was, a, there's a, I think one thing that has emerged in the pandemic is there is a realization, yeah, math, science, all that stuff is really important, but we need to help young people to know how to live well. And um, we can't just keep patching them up at the end when they're broken. We have to help young people to develop the skills that enable them to develop a healthy, um, almost virtuous lifestyle, which sounds very, you know, I don't know what word you'd use, but actually that's fundamentally what it is, how to live well. Um, and so the, the, you know, the resource covers themes like kindness, forgiveness, how to have healthy relationships, looking after your mind, your body, and it, it explores issues about what is the soul and how do you even look after it? Um, so it's got some interesting topics in it that will really help young people to explore. We're trying it in schools and in churches, so we know that it's working. Um, and yeah, it'd be great to have churches just take it on board and use it as they want. Thanks, Martin, for that interview. Um, so great to hear from Nate, things that he was sharing from his own life. I think it would be quite powerful for a lot of people hearing that. Yeah, I mean, it was. Inc- we should say he was being incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and to repeat... He he is actually an expert, but most of us aren't. So this is not our field of expertise. Um, so if you found that difficult or challenging, uh, then do talk to somebody about it. You know, it's it sometimes things that might feel quite innocuous to others can be quite triggering for us. So hearing somebody talk about their experiences might have been difficult for you. And, and I would encourage you if it was difficult for you to, to talk to someone about it. But I thought really great to um, talk maybe more proactively about mental health so 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 often we we talk about mental health as like a list of problems that young people are facing rather than just saying you know gosh it's really important that all year round we're in a good place mentally do you think do you think it's changed do you think that narrative has changed just in culture like are people more aware you think of of the need to just think about your mental health i think they are But it was interesting how Nate was kind of talking about, we've done all this work, it's Mm. talked about such a lot, but we still do have a way to go. And I think just because it's talked about more and people are more aware of it, um, I think it's really easy to forget about still and to minimise it. And, you know, even a little while ago, I was talking to a friend who's just going through a really difficult time and she she was finding it really hard the idea of asking for some time off work you know Mm. um whereas if obviously if you were sick in bed I mean some people struggle with that too (laughs) but normally you know it wouldn't really be a question of oh okay yeah I'll just get the day off but when you're struggling mentally somehow you still can convince yourself well 
I still need to get on and do my work and, and try and push all of that aside and, and not address it. It is still something that we need to work on. Yeah, and it's good to remember that um, while not everybody will be, you know, coming out of pandemic, uh, pe- people will react in different ways. So some some young people will very clearly be traumatised by what they've just been through. Others, on the surface, it might seem like everything's fine, but I think it's really good practice to create loads of space to talk, to listen, um, to, you know, even if young people don't particularly want to talk about this stuff or don't feel the need to talk about this stuff at the moment, I think it's really important that as part of our practice, as we seek to sort of go back to normal, we make that space. Um, and, uh, you know, for some young people, they will get loads of opportunities to do that. Some young people, we will be the only people who are actually asking them how they are and, and trying to process that stuff with them. So feels like a really important subject. And, and thanks to Nate for a, a really engaging interview. And I think lots of people will come away from that, find that really helpful. Yeah. Um, you were going to talk about something. So, yeah, I think... Um... One thing that we're really proud of this, I was going to say this year, but it's actually last year and time is weird. Last year, we launched, time is weird. Uh, We launched, among all of the other many things we escaped in the last year or so, we launched Headstrong, Be Headstrong, which is a website aimed at young people, all about mental wellbeing and mental health resources. And it's a great team of people behind it. And They've just got lots on their website. They've got lots of fun things. I think their their aim, a bit similar to what's been talked about in this episode, is to, I guess, kind of encourage positive action in terms of mental health and looking after yourself and having these conversations. And they have videos, they have quizzes, um, blog posts. So that's a great place to point young people towards. Um, and they also produced a couple of free downloadable uh, youth group sessions around um, anxiety and various things like that and they were particularly made for sort of lockdown and pandemic but I think a lot of that stuff would still be relevant and, and would just be good ideas and good kind of resources for youth workers looking to talk to young people about this stuff and um, so, so yeah go so check it out what's the address how do people go because it's, it's actually optimized for mobile phones isn't it so yeah so it would look a bit strange to you if you just open it on your laptop but the idea is you can send young people to that particularly on their mobiles and that is beheadstrong.uk and um, and we've done interviews with um kate middleton before on the podcast who's um one of the people on the team and um, so yeah really good people behind it and good stuff for young people yeah brilliant Great. Well, look, Amy, I have to say you've been uh, an excellent deputy for uh, Rachel. And, uh, and, and you know, I think for, for many people, the story of you and your siblings eating each other's Easter eggs in secret. <laughs> that's will what make I'll it, take away from this episode. That, well, I think some people use that in their next sermon, actually, as an illustration <laughs> of the, the fallenness of the human condition. I think it's a perfect exactly. metaphor for sin. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> Indeed. Right. All right. Well, Look, before you start any new catchphrases or anything, because time is weird, it's probably about time that we say goodbye. Uh, Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Youthscape podcast. We'll be back, who knows, with what lineup next (laughs) time. Bye.